hello and welcome to episode number 23 of Show Us Your Kit, uh, the podcast where we're collecting uh, virtually uh, shirts from all of the 92 Football League teams and stories as well from those supporters that come on to the show. Uh, we're joined today by Ash Rose from the QPR podcast and from Alive and Kicking, the original 90s uh, podcast that I've, <laughs> <laughs> I listened to recently. A very entertaining uh, listen and also uh, editor of Kick magazine. So all sorts of stuff you've got going on, Ash. Uh, so where can we find you online as well? And, and tell us a little bit about the, the podcast that you're part of. Yeah, there's a, I've got my uh, my fingers in a few pies constantly, which, um, yeah, it keeps me a busy man. Um, yeah, everything can be found, usually me, on Twitter, which is at Ash Rose UK. But, yeah, the uh, the pod, Alive and Kicking, is, as you say, the original 1990s football podcast. There are some pretenders out there that have come after us, but we were the original one. We've been going... Oh, five years now, I think now. Um, done over 120 episodes. So you might think we've run out of 90s football to talk about, but somehow we keep finding themes and things. We haven't some sort of dark hole that we haven't gone down. So, <laughs> yes, yeah, all a bit of fun. We've had some great guests over the years as well. Uh, we've got some great ones coming up, actually, from Brian Horton, John Barnes, who I've interviewed recently. So, yeah, we try and uh, keep it lighthearted, but a mix of uh, with famous faces as well. So, yeah, so that's one of my my strings. Yeah, as you said, editor of Kit Magazine and uh, WWE Kids as well, if anyone's listening has that flavour to their life. Um, yeah, and as well as the QPR stuff. So yeah, there's a there's a lot going on for me generally, but uh, all enjoyable, all fun. Yeah, brilliant. So, well, that's what I wanted to ask you about first of all, actually, is the kids magazine scene. So obviously, you know, growing up, I was always yeah. had Shoot or Match or one of those ones. <laughs> yeah. uh, so how did you get into to being an editor? Did you work your way up from just writing little articles or how did it come about? Um, kind of, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I'm i like you. I was, I was a bit of a magazine geek as a kid, to be honest, um, and that's kind of carried, few, carried through. I had, had Match, Shoot, you know, Soccer Stars, 90 Minutes, um, you name it, as it had a footballer on the cover, I normally bought it. Uh, the same with anything else, like computer games, as mm. I used to be much, not so much anymore, but as a kid, I was into it, wrestling as well. But so I always loved magazines. That's something I always wanted to go into. Um, I actually started in sales, magazine sort of selling ads and things like that, um, and managed to get the first role at Kick Magazine was kind of doing adverts and competitions for that. Um, but luckily, the team soon realised that I could do more. My knowledge was obviously of a, a certain level that I could do more. So yeah, I started as an editorial assistant and then uh, just worked my way up. And at the moment, uh, given the current conditions, as well as on top of everything else, I'm the, I'm the only writer. I basically write the whole of Kick. Um, oh. We have a team of designers, but yeah, so it's me on editorial as the editor. And uh, yeah, we have a design team to, to do that. So yeah, I mean, it's fun. I get to kind of, you know, decide what goes in my book magazine. QPR do appear probably more than they should. <laughs> It's a, it's predominantly a Premier League magazine, so it's been a while since we've been there. So, but yeah, I do sneak them every now and then. But I'm very lucky to to be at a job that you know I can write about football for a living. So yeah, it's it's great. It's, it's good fun. What about the future of magazines then? Because obviously we've got you know iPads and stuff now. Have you had to diversify your content, or is it still pretty traditional? I think we're quite lucky in the fact that it's a kids magazine and, and kids generally want a, a, a physical product um, to have, you know, they can rip posters out of it. They can do the puzzles. Um, you know, I'm not shy away to say that the magazine comes with gifts and that's probably a big reason why kids buy it. I like to think it's all the fantastic editorial content, but I, I know how much <laughs> they love, the, you know, the Premier League stickers or uh, we used to do a lot of match tax back in the day as well. So 
th there is that. I think a physical product, for, generally, like, if you go into a news agent's now, yeah, the magazines are vastly shrinked in, in most areas, but I think the kids' market is still quite thriving. And, you, you know, I, I'm part of a publishing house that does sort of 20 odd titles so it, and they're doing very well so you can you can assume from that that at the moment I think kids still like to have that and in lockdown I think it's been one of the saving graces for parents mm. that they can have these magazines and kids can do it because there is an educational flavor to, to some of them as well because we like to teach the what they're learning and stuff so I do think we're you know the future is always a little bit of a concern but I think for the moment as long as kids still want to put posters on their wall and, and learn about the football, football stars I think we're okay. Yeah, I don't think that that will ever change. I mean, you know, you look back to our parents and grandparents' generation, they still idolised people. They still wanted to have something yeah. on their walls. So I, I think that is, that's still something that will keep on going. Um, but I just wanted to ask you, first of all, because I listened to your most recent episode of your 90s football podcast, The Live and yeah. Kicking, uh, and you, you spoke for quite a while about goalkeeper kits in the 90s. And that's not something that we've actually... <laughs> covered on this uh, series so yeah. far so give us some some of your favorite goalkeeper kits or ones that you've wow. to look out for because they were that was the the peak time for crazy kits wasn't it, it was the early that 90s is, yeah the goalkeeping kits was a whole new level really i mean they i think they were allowed to go to town in the 90s on, on goalkeeping kits and they really really did um i think that you know the episode you're referring to is when we were talking about the newcastle one specifically and I mean, them alone had some just crazy kits. Uh, it's hard to even describe them because, you know, the shapes and the colours. Yeah. I always think of Pavel Cernicic, the late Pavel Cernicic wearing, you know, some some of the, some ghastly. So I think I love them. They're not ghastly. They're, they're nice, in, you mm. know, ghastly in a fun way, sort of shades of, I think it's called like glass, like kind of glass shades. And then, then they've got like pinks and blues and greens in them. Newcastle also had like a, an amazing goalkeeper kit that had like a, a sunset of the like the skyline of Newcastle. Oh wow! Which you know, great. <laughs> but you don't really see that anymore, and it's so they they particularly. I think Liverpool as well. I can remember David James again, mm. just massive colours, just shapes and colours, and then obviously the famous famous one from the nineties um, is the England goalkeeper kit from Euro ninety six, which I mean. No, I was going to say shame, but I'm not ashamed about it at all. I think that's the last full kit that I bought. I think I was wow. about 13, 12, 13. Is it acceptable? Yeah. yeah. Just on the cusp of, you know, <laughs> you're okay to wear a full kit just walking to the shopping centre rather than <laughs> play the part. But yeah, I full on, they call it the refreshers kit because it was had <laughs> so every colour under the sun on it, predominantly red, but then blotches of other colours and I think the socks were hooped as well yeah. like lime green and yellow I think like that or something like that I think that's the you know the epicentre of 90 I think everything else went slow everyone else went okay I think we've reached the peak now <laughs> I think we need to start calming down on goalkeeper kits QPR actually had a a really uh sort of outlandish one it's kind of one of my holy grails as a football kits that I've never been able to get Mm. I'm, not, I'm not sure. I think in the early '90s, it, they even sold goalie kits in in club shops. Yeah. It was a rarity. I don't think it was just a given as it is in in modern day. Um, but QPR had like a bright fluorescent yellow goalkeeping kit worn by Jan Stayskell with kind of green lines going mm. through it with a Brook sponsor. Um, horribly outlandish, but yeah, if I could ever get hold of one of those, I'd be a, a mighty happy chappy. But yeah, you're right. The, the goalkeepers' kits in the '90s were. A whole new level. I think it it sort of points to the 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 end of that kind of era of football was fun, 
And then it, yeah. as soon as sort of the nineties ended, it was all very serious, and you know, goalkeeper kits were pretty standard, either green or blue, pretty much. Uh, but yeah, there's, there doesn't seem to be that that fun in football that they, they used to be. Do you, well, I take it you must miss it because you've got a nineties podcast? But yeah. can you ever see us returning to those kind of days? I don't think so. I mean, it's one of the reasons, you know, I harp on about it on the podcast. And if anyone goes anywhere near my Twitter feed, they'll see 90s mentioned in quite a lot, not just football, but in general. But I think we call it the decade that changed football forever because it really was. You know, I always say if you look at a snapshot of football in kind of 1990, 1991 and then sort of 90, it's so different, different to any other decade. You know, if you go forward on 2000, 2010, yes there's fashion changes and there's, you know, you can tell it's different, but not a lot changed in the terms of how we felt about football and how football mm. stylized itself. I think that decade, what with the Premier League, the money, the, you know, the Champions League rebranding, Sky Sports, the I don't like to say the fun was taken out of it because I think that's slightly unfair, but mm. I think it became more of a, a serious business orientated industry rather than the, the everyman. Fans could kind of, you know, we, we sympathise with the players on the pitch. They seem closer, even though it seems now we can be even closer than ever in social media. Mm. But I felt the everyman was on the pitch. You know, you'd feel like you'd see him score a hat-trick on a Saturday and then he'd be in the pub on Saturday night or he'd be one of you, you know, he'd live down the road from from you. It kind of it felt that. It was a bit more fun. And, it, and it's an interesting watch to watch that slowly change. And, and there are many ways it's got better and there are many ways to do, mm. as we say, miss the fun side of the 90s. You know, you, you think of Monday Night Football in the 1990s with blow up sumo mm. wrestlers and fireworks and dancing cheerleaders. You know, it's another time, you know, someone who's 10 years old now wouldn't understand what is going on. Why is there yeah. dance? I mean, someone might say, well, there's fans given the current situation. But yeah, it, it, yeah. it wasn't as fun. And that's why we look upon it in kind of, I'm sure I've got rose tinted spitzicles, not just because of my surname, but it, yeah, more fun in the 90s. Yeah, I think that definitely one thing that needs to come back is the the halftime race in the League Cup final between because <laughs> <laughs> only because I think Wolves would probably win it at the minute with Traore. But uh, yeah, that was they, a bizarre one. Yeah, Rumbelow's Cup, I think it was called at the time. Yeah. Um, if I'm not mistaken. I think QPR had Gary Thompson. I could be wrong, but I think he right. competed in it. But yeah, who could imagine that now? A hundred meters in football kit as well in full <laughs> kit. Very bizarre, very 90s. Yeah, there, there are many things that, you know, from that era that you kind of scratch your head at, but at the time seemed perfectly normal. Mm. And just before we move on to the first part of the show, I just want to ask you about your amazing collection behind you. <laughs> uh, very, very 90s, particularly the, the football figures. How many roughly have you got? Do you know even uh, or are there any particular highlights of all of them? I've got quite, yeah, there's a lot of Corinthian. I'm looking around, which isn't helping. And obviously from a uh, pod audio, this isn't great, but yeah, so yeah, behind me, they sort of Corinthian figures. I've got some Hasbro WWE. Um, don't know if I can just on the screen there, you'll see it goes up a little bit further as well. There, I've got mm. um, they were made, they were football figures from just before Corinthian, so sort of late 80s, early 90s. They are they were Tonka football superstars, love those, they're very unheard of, but I love those. Um, I don't mm. know, I mean, it must be in the hundreds, don't tell my wife, but it must be in the hundreds. <laughs> and are they, and are they? Are they original ones or have you bought them retrospectively off eBay and things uh, like that? A bit of both. I did have, I'm a big hoarder, as 
as you can well imagine from the 90s so yeah i did have a big collection as from as a kid the you know some of the wwe stuff i've got behind me are definitely from when i was a kid but mm. i have added some corinthians as i go like, oh i'm missing that one and then think, oh look how much he is on ebay maybe i won't but <laughs> you know <laughs> i think what i found actually in lockdown was i think people went corinthian figure crazy actually because I saw a lot of new Twitter feeds of people who are collectors and mm. I think the prices on eBay went through the roof. And um, I mean, I'm kind of a casual, coll- I collect, you know, I've got I'm mainly England and then I, I've got a kind of collection of people that I like. I'm not like, I must have every Chelsea figure. I must have every mm. Southampton. Figure. I'm not, you know, I've just got a, mainly because I haven't got the room and the, the budget to do that. But the, the prices went, yeah, they went a bit crazy over, over lockdown, which uh, I'm sure people are raiding their lofts looking for something yeah. to do. But, you could be sitting yeah, on a small I, fortune there. I could be, yeah. Don't tell the wife that because uh, she'll be waiting <laughs> there and trying to eBay. But um, yeah, and I've got things also down there. You know, there's just copies of old soccer stars and pro set cards and and, st- and a mm. couple of full Merlin sticker albums, which I'm still slightly sadly proud of. But yeah, it's all. It's like being in my head coming to this little office, and uh, sometimes it's a scary place, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> right then, let's have a look at your first kit. Now you you you've kind of made it easy for yourself because you haven't chosen one qpr kit you've chosen I two split them, i couldn't split I'll, them i'll accept i'll accept the two so we'll talk about this one first so this was from 97 to 99 when yeah. football kits used to last for more than two years which uh you know doesn't happen anymore so why is this kit particularly special to you i think this this is a point of my life where i think you know as much as we all love football and breathe football, there always comes a point in everyone's life where real life has to suddenly take over and it's usually, mm. you know, girls and work and things like that. But I think this was just before that. And this was, so everything to me was football and everything was QPR. And it doesn't matter if how, how rubbish we were at the time or how great we were at the time. They, they were everything. They were what I consumed on a daily basis. And, I, and so this is the sweet spot for me. This kit is kind of the sweet spot of that point. I think mm. I, I would have been, so this is 97. So yeah, just mid teens. So I'd have been old enough to really be in to know what I'm talking about. Not quite old enough to be doing extra curricular activities at that point. <laughs> I'm sure some people were, but yeah, I'm, I'm quite small. And so I was never getting away with that sort of thing. <laughs> but, and for me, it's almost everything I like, I love in football kits. If it had laces, it'd be the epitome of what I love about football kits. But that mm. seems to only happen in kind of a mid early 90s period from Umbro, which I'm, I imagine they're banned now for safety yeah. reasons or whatever nonsense that they would give. But it's got a polo collar, which for me, if a football kit is going to be perfect, it has to have a polo collar. Um, I recently did something um, on the podcast talking about football kits and I realised out of 10 kits I talked about, no, 11 kits I talked about, 10 of them had polo collars. So wow. <laughs> I was very, that very much is a thing to me. And uh, the, the, the kit last season that QPR had uh, made by Irira that had a polo collar and it didn't go down terribly well with most fans but i loved it um mm. weird gold trim but i'm always up for something different yeah. um i'm digressing but yeah this kit i think it hits that sweet spot it reminds me of uh john spencer at qpr it reminds me of mike sharon we had the sort of the two bob sas that we kind of called them they were quite sutton and sharon they probably were really never really spencer and sharon but uh john <laughs> spencer was brilliant then the following season because as you said we had this kit for two seasons we had uh, Rob Steiner, uh, who was a massive unsung hero for me at QPR, really underrated, had to retire from injury, unfortunately, but could have been a big player. But I think the, you know, the creme de the creme on this football kit is the arms. So it's, it's proper QPR blue, because in the 90s, we went a bit, our shades of blue went a bit awry. Mm. Like the one I'm going to talk about in a minute, slightly 
brought into that, but it's kind of the classic event kit that everyone will remember from the Premier League days was was lighter blue, was kind of, and I don't, yeah. I've never found a reason why we did, and we made that ourselves. It was made by Clubhouse. Mm. It wasn't made by a, a sportswear company. So I'm not sure why we went, but this is proper QPR Royal Blue. And on the sleeves, um, it has the, the old badge now, the, well, the third old badge now, because we've had two since then. Mm. Uh, the, the middle of it, the Q, the P and the R, just on the sleeves and it just it's, it's something we've never done and i think now we wouldn't be able to do it because you'd have a sponsor sleeve on it as well which I, I you know we didn't have it they didn't do those at the time yeah um whatever league you're in and even you know some people have shirts uh, sleeve sponsors as well so it yeah it, it just i just remember being in college and wearing this kit at college and and because i went i grew up in sort of southeast london kent borders i there was very few qpr fans around at that time mm. um and we weren't successful either so there was an, i was usually the only qpr fan in and around <laughs> i was definitely the only qpr fan at school and i'm pretty sure i was at college as well so yeah. i remember wearing this most weeks as soon as it was washed and, and even walking through the corridors people looking giving that second look of oh it's a qpr fan okay <laughs> and it, yeah it's just i look at that kit and it just makes me smile there the, the, the there's the perfect blue the sponsors doesn't ruin it you know there's a lot of talk about sponsors it works perfectly mm. ericsson so of its time as well you know which became one of the other i think they morphed into another one of the mobile yeah. companies didn't they yeah. uh, and made by lecoq sportif which you know goes they go through phases of being very ultra cool to be in market stall fodder to be an ultra cool again but i think at this point they were somewhere in between so mm. yeah for me uh, if i was going to be put guns ahead this would be my favorite qpr kit Okay, cool. I do, I do agree with the collars, by the way. The bigger the collar for me, the the better. <laughs> it's like Harry Hill uh, football kits, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, why do, so QPR at that sort of time? Uh, I know they got relegated to what is now League One at some point around then. Was this was that the kit? That was just before then? that. So we so yeah, the third tier would have been that was two thousand and one because we had Peter Crouch for that season, mm. who was a shining light in a very very bad Queens Park Rangers team. Um, so they sort of just before this was post Premier League relegation. So we had who would have been Ray Harford would have been in charge of this kit okay. um, and possibly the end of Jerry Francis's second reign at the mm. time. So, um, yeah, I, I, it was memorable for a final day six nil win against Crystal Palace where <laughs> quick anecdote to that we were terrible most of that season. Um, and I was so we, I think we needed to win by a certain number of goals and Berry at the time also needs to mm. win by a silly certain number of goals. I think they did it and think it, and they thought they'd stayed up. And then we somehow I think <laughs> Palace were already on their summer holidays, but mm. beat Crystal Palace six 0 And I remember being there cheering, but half being annoyed that we'd been so bad all season, but yet we saved our best performance to beat Palace six 0 on the last yeah. day. But all in that shiny nice kit. Tony Scully and George Colescar are two names that will mm. spring frighteners to keep the our fans who scored on that day. I do remember you, in fact, I think you were already relegated and you beat Wolves on the last game of the season with, with Peter Crouch playing. Because I remember be, I, was oh, only, yeah. I was only seven or eight at the time and just being fascinated by how tall and thin yeah. this, this player was. He's freakish at that, at that point. Yeah. I mean, he, yeah. he did sort of grow into it a little bit. <laughs> yeah. um, I remember seeing him, we had a pre-season at Millwall that season. So he joined, so I think it was 2000 that summer and mm. like coming out the tunnel and everyone just looking at each other going, what have we signed? Who is this guy? Yeah. And quickly got the Rodney chance and you yeah. know, Millwall, not the easiest place to go to, especially or not even in the preseason. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, he was great that season. The kind of, you know, we always hoped he'd come back one day. It never quite worked out for him, but yeah, mm. big, fan, big fan of big memories of Crouchy. 
And then uh, this kit then, so this is from much earlier in the 90s, the start of the decade. Uh, and I think it's quite, it's quite impressive, really, that QPR have managed to have such variation in what is yeah. a very traditional hooped kit. So talk us through the, this one, Influence Leisure Wear. Yeah, I mean, just saying that just makes me, you know, it gives me goosebumps. <laughs> I mean, who, who remembers Influence Leisure Wear? I, I'm not sure they, they uh, made many teams kits. I think it was South End, maybe, I don't know. Mm. Um yeah, you're right. The template's difficult. And I like that you called it hoop shirts. We we don't like it when it's got, they got, got called stripe shirts because they are no. hoops and we obviously are the super hoops. Um, but they have managed to, to teeter with the template over the years. And we, you know, I remember Nike taken over in the early Premier League, in the second Premier League stint and the, ho the hoops didn't join and that did not go down very well. Um, but this this kit, yeah, I mean, this this is precious to me because it's kind of my, my, my th the first QPR kit I remember. This was mm -hmm. when I was old enough to know what was going on uh, post sort of World Cup Italia 90 was kind of where my football education began. I think that's kind of that were my first sort of early memories that and the cup final that year, which was United Palace. Because my, uh, my one of my um, grand my grandmother lived in Croydon at the time. So I mm. remember the Parara around there. That kind of sticks in me. But this is when I knew my dad was a QPR fan and I was be a QPR fan. And they had this kit, which again, adding that 90s that we talked about earlier. It's got that fluorescent yellow line, which mm. is at the top of it, which I don't think's ever been repeated on a, on a QBR <laughs> show. And I'd love to see it come back because it's a, we add, I'm, I, it's sacrilegious what I'm about to say, but we add red a lot to the QPR template mm. as, a, as a third colour. And it, it harks back to the Guinness kits with the 80s. And I'm not a fan, maybe because I'm not from that era. So, I mean, the Guinness kits were like, is looked upon as like one of the most iconic QPR kits of all time. And it's a beauty, but I wasn't, it's not my era. So I never really sort of, go to that kit when I talk about QPR kits for me adding a bit of fluorescent yellow is always good less hoops and it is more white than and the lot of mm. QPR kits but because I started watching QPR at the time and I fell in love uh with a certain Roy Wegerly who is like my all-time footballing hero um and he this season 1990-91 was our top scorer he was you know the number 10 which is very important at Loftus Road given the legacy of sort of Stan Bowles Rodney Marsh he was given the number 10 shirt and basically was the man that season he was wearing this um the, the away kit matched exactly as well but it was black and red which sometimes works I'm I, I, I sort of waver between being a fan of when teams do that but it worked that season for the black mm. and the red hoops and still having the uh, fluorescent yellow line. Um, and I remember what I get sort of Christmas. So it must've been Christmas, 1991. So I hadn't had a football kit that I remember at that point. I think my dad put me in one when I was like a baby, but mm. I don't actually remember. I remember going downstairs, you know, rummaging through my, my Christmas presents and then feeling my way. And usually remember as a kid, when you used to get clothes, it used to be the most boring. You could feel your clothes. <laughs> and like, oh no, not clothes. Why can't it be an action figure or a football? But I knew yeah. what it was ripping it open and then seeing the hoops it was like the first QPR kit that I owned and it you know I, I think I wore it for like a week without until my mum sort of like listen <laughs> it's time to go it off, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and, and I mean at the time there's no squad numbers I mean I'm sure if they'd been I would have had 10 Wegley on the back but mm. at that time there was no squad numbers he wore number 10 predominantly but he obviously there was no names on the back so yeah that Holds very special with my heart. And it, it doesn't have a polo collar, but it does have a nice round collar. Mm. So I quite like that as well. Um, so yeah, that's that would be, that's my earliest QPR memory kit, I would say. That's why I find it hard. I've got my favourite kit and my earliest one. So I kind of hold yeah. them in the same esteem. 
I'll, I'll let you off, I suppose. But uh, <laughs> I, I want to bring you out of the 90s, unfortunately, and to, to the present day, because QPR yeah. have had quite a lot of ups and downs in the last 20 years, I suppose. Uh, and only in the first lockdown, I think it was about May time, I decided I'd look back at the documentary that was filmed of QPR, the f- five-year plan. Four year outstanding yeah. four year plan sorry yeah. uh to watch back through that is fascinating the way that the club was run and just it was a disaster from one disaster to the next really at that point um as it sort of settled down now that you seem to be under the radar a little bit you've underachieving i would probably suggest at the minute um 20th in the championship and but a very low profile squad in comparison to to yeah. previous years so just talk us through the last 10 years or so really oh how long you got tom <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i mean that that documentary if anyone has never seen it you don't have to be a qpr fan to to appreciate or not appreciate it it's a fascinating watch to yeah. see how owners can take control of a football club this was a the under the guise of flabio briatori and uh, bernie eccleston who will f1 fans will know big in that world and mm. yeah bernie um was kind of silent but flavio wow he definitely wants wanted influence over the team there's some great scenes with him and ian dowie where he's pretty much trying to pick the team and dowie's not happy man which you can simplify with um completely so yeah i mean we went from that to you know chat when we changed the badge at that time to that awful crest that almost looked like it had flavio's hair on the side of it which was terrible terrible times and Loftus Road, London on the, oh, it was mm. just, it looked like a badge from someone from Pro Evo had designed in it. You know, those kind of fake clubs that they make mm. on Pro Evo. It looked like that. We jumped from that to Tony Fernandez, who took over, who in fairness to him, kind of, you know, got the club more, but he's very much a PR man and wanted to be in the forefront of things. And I think for his own at times was too much. And we spent a lot of money in the Premier League when we got promoted. I mean, the season we got promoted to the Premier League, which was what, 2010, 2011? We had Adam mm. Tarrat, who still to this day is one of the most mercurial genius footballers yeah. I've ever seen. Attitude at the time, you know, questionable, but with the boys' feet, wow, what a mm. footballer. Um, into the Premier League days where we were pretty much, you know, how not to be in the Premier League, spend money on players that no longer are good enough and no longer have any kind of desire to a certain extent. You think of like Jose Bosingwa and Jason mm-hmm. Park who were past their best and really didn't need to be playing for QPR. Rio Ferdinand to a certain extent, but he had obviously personal issues at the time. Mm-hmm. And now you're right. I mean, we've had to change the club. Basically the philosophy is now different. We are, we got fined a hefty fee for fair play over a couple of years ago. So we, shoestring is probably pushing it, but we are very much, the model now is, you know, you'll see a guy like um, Ezzy at Crystal Palace who we sold in the summer. That's kind of the model we were trying mm. to bring players through our academy or buy them cheap from lower leagues, make them a better player, sell them on, and then hopefully the money you recuperated will get us a squad of players that can eventually get us back to some sort of push for promotion because I don't see it happening particularly in the next couple of seasons because the squad's so young and mm. kind of bits and bobs for players that we've picked up. So, yeah, I mean... <laughs> Underachieving, possibly. It's a very young squad that Mark Walton's yeah. got there. Um, I think the, the jury's still somewhat out on Warburton as well on some of his tactics as well. But it's been a bumpy ride. Um, but I think at ballroom level, they're starting to get right. You know, Les is there, so he's, he knows he's got the club at heart. Lee Hughes, um, chief executive, who, from a business point of view, seems to know what he's doing, which we've kind of lacked, especially since mm. the Briatore days. So... Hopefully, the the future is is brighter, and the model they're trying to create will work. Great. Well, they do seem to be 
there should be a Premier League team really QPI in the oh. you know the the location <laughs> that they've got in yeah. London the support that they've got you know the the only thing that's really not Premier League I would say from I've only visited Loftus Road once but it doesn't it's not a Premier League ground is it has there ever been sort of uh, ambition to to yeah. level up in that way. I think so. I think the difficulty, as you mentioned, in London is finding somewhere to build it mm. uh, because you don't want to go too far out of the area you're in because then you kind of lose the the identity. You know, we we hark on what we are the only West London club with a West London postcode, as much as Chelsea and uh, Fulham and Brentford can dispute that area of London. But it's also compact that it's difficult. There has been sites suggested and muted and even talked about, but I don't think. You know, there's too much of it at the moment. The training mm. ground it was the first thing which they've now got planning permission for because the training ground at Harlington is, I've been there on a, a, a multiple occasions. It's not good enough for a championship team, let alone a, mm. a Premier League team. So I, I dread to think what the likes of Julio Cesar thought about it when he when he signed <laughs> in the Premier League days because he must have turned up thinking he was a, a kid's PE lesson or something. <laughs> Harlington. It's, it's not, a, yeah, it's not a Premier League. Uh, training ground so that that will be first but I think it will come eventually um my 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 fear with it I love Loftus Road it's of its age it's, it's dated it's small we don't get enough revenue from it but mm. my fear is having a stadium that you can't fill and I, I don't want to you know at the moment if you go to a stadium full stop obviously but yeah. talking in, in general terms you want a stadium with the capacity that you know you're going to feel or not sort of end up like an empty Rico arena or, or something mm. like that so I think it will happen it's just there's a lot of red tape and everything to happen before that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and one last question about QPR before we move on to your next kit is uh, the Manchester City tie from 2012. That obviously, from one point of view, we know fantastic. Uh, but from a QPR's perspective, it was a huge game as well. You managed to stay up. But what was, were you secretly hoping that City would beat you in that last couple of minutes, or were you just you know happy that you'd done your bit? It was a strange old day, that, because, you know, there was so much focus on Manchester City and, and what they needed to do. And the expectation was that they were going to roll us over because we were relegation fodder, basically. We were pretty much odds on to go down. And we, we were just there to play our part in Manchester City's story. We weren't really there mm. to do anything else. But it was such a roller coaster of an afternoon that it, we became part of the story because of, of, of the way the game went. You know, Joey sending off, which... That was Joey Barton being Joey Barton, mm. less said the better. Um, then to go to the lead, you know, with, with Jamie Mackey's header, which is one of my favourite moments as QBR fan, just like, what is going on? You know, <laughs> we're staying up, we're beating City, but then, you know, I mean, I've got no allegiance between City and United, no. so I didn't really mind who won the league, but it was kind of like, we're stopping City, oh my God, the, I mean, I wasn't there myself, unfortunately, but thinking of mm. trying to get out of the stadium that night, the QBR fans wouldn't have been too welcome <laughs> if we prevented them winning the league and then you know to be part of that that last few moments there's some you know I've talked to, to many guys that played in that game from a QPR perspective and there was half the team that, that thought they were down because we needed uh, Stoke to beat Bolton that was the other game and, and that was that, that game was going in our favour um, but half the team didn't know so when mm. you know Aguero did what he did, where oh, did that? I think there's pictures of I think Sean Derry on one side of the pitch with his hands on his head because he thought we were down. But those nearest the bench already knew the game at was that I think it was a Bolton was already over. We'd, so we'd stayed mm. up. So then you had this sort of crescendo to the game where you've got City who won the league. We've stayed up. I don't, you know, everyone was celebrating with each other, which was which was fantastic to see. <laughs> um, it could have gone very much the other yeah. way, is you know, if results had, had turned differently. But yeah, it was. Uh, 
we're a strange footnote in that city story but um you know mm. there's an article to be written to be to be a QPR perspective on that day because it's, it's not really been talked about to be a QPR fan that day yeah. and, and see what had happened and, and the emotions that, that we went through but yeah what a what a mental day that was I know well I know from from my perspective having no nothing to do with that game at all Wolves had already been relegated and we were you know bottom of the league by a long way but still being so invested as a neutral football fan in that yeah. game we had so many screens on that day and then I mean I can't, I can't imagine to have been I mean to have been beaten in that way but still you know be you know historical moment uh for your club yeah it's, it's say, nice for kids now as well that we were in the premier league so wherever you get <laughs> yeah, that we were there it's like oh they played QPR that day and it's like yeah we were there show me we weren't wearing yeah. the hoops but yeah no we were there yeah so let's move on to your uh favorite non-QPR kit which is a classic kit oh. uh for for you know every football fan of the 90s uh, i'm just trying to share my screen now with you but it's um quite a kit a denim kit there it is uh, only i've actually got it there with you oh brilliant i'll stop sharing my screen then uh so this is <laughs> uh the usa kit from 1994 what's the story behind this and why did they choose denim for their home world cup <laughs> i mean i mean just look at it i'm anyone who's ever talk to me for more than 10 minutes if i haven't mentioned this kit then i haven't done my job because <laughs> not it, it's it's the greatest football kit of all time it, it's just the most bizarre decision amazing decision um I, I don't know if you've ever felt this football kit it's so thick it's unbelievable as well which you know they played in the which we'll go into in a minute in the world cup with it in that heat um yeah. Again, going back to what we started with the '90s and, and the, the crazy um, patterns. I mean, this this is it. This is what this is what the '90s were about. And mm. you know, I, I did a long interview of Alexi Lalas um, on our live and kicking podcast, and this all ties into you know, 1994 was the first time the US were going to be hosting the World Cup. Kind of the you know their first almost like their rebirth mm. into football or soccer, as obviously they call it. And they wanted to make a statement, and that they <laughs> that, that made. I mean, that's my. 1994 is my favourite World Cup. It, it was like, the, you know, I said earlier, 1990 is what I remember. But 94, I was a full-on football-obsessed kid. I, it's mm. all I thought about. It's all I, you know, I wanted to be a footballer before I realised I wasn't very good at it. It was, it was everything I wanted. You know, I, I consumed it. I was like 10 years old. It was my thing. I was, football was all about that time. And although England wasn't in it, I found that kind of liberating because there was no pressure. Mm. You didn't care who won, who lost. It was just fun. I think I had the... I had the Brazil shirt, which is an absolutely another gem of a shirt from that era as well. The big collar um, mm. and the, the motif on the, it's sort of in, in boast in, in the middle of the shirt. So I kind of was rooting for them, but I think it was glory hunting. But <laughs> what stopped me in my tracks, because, you know, at the time, it's, it's, it's no social media. No one knows who what, what players and what kits are turning up. I remember turning on the telly to, to watch um, the USA first game, which I think is against Switzerland. Could be wrong. Um mm. And they were wearing, it was Columbia, it was uh, USA Columbia, and they were wearing this kit. And I, I, I think my, my jaw dropped. I mean, at the time, I thought it was genuine denim because it just looked so, <laughs> it's so, it's very good. It's a very good, but I've always been a big fan of Americana. And that's why, you know, I've mentioned I, I work in WWE and wrestling. So mm. that, you know, that's that. And I've, I've been, I've traveled to the States. I'm, 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 I like Americana. And what's more Americana than a shirt that's covered <laughs> <laughs> in, in denim and then stars you know representing the, the united states flag i mean the home kit that that tournament also had the well red and white stripes representing the other half of the flag which is also a mm. lovely kit but they, i think they wore this shirt more than they wore the other one 
they certainly wore it against Brazil in the quarterfinal, which is the match I really remember as well, because I mm. had the team that I loved and the kit that I loved. I was just like, this is like, my, my mind went bang. Explain. <laughs> And in a bizarre twist, I I had a family, sort of a friend of my sort of grandma and granddad who, who lived nearby. And we went to their house um, for some sort of occasion. I can't remember what it was, but he said, oh, we're traveling to America in the next few years. And me, out of nowhere, and I was a shy kid. I, I would never, but this must be the testament how much I love the kit. Just said, oh, can you bring me back the USA 94 kit? I, 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 dad, dad, tell him, tell him, tell him. <laughs> Um, I never saw him again and he never did but I just remember that moment being like I need that kit in my life because you couldn't just go online to kit bag or you know even matching sheet that used to have those kit advertisements that I don't Mm. remember seeing the USA 94 kit in it so I did manage to get hold of it later in life before the kit boom because I think now it will go online for you're looking at at least three figures for a you know genuine kit from that time Um, I've seen it I've seen it near the thousand marks for, for some of them but they may be match worn um so yeah that to me it, i mean alexa Lattis talks about it how how much they laughed about it as a squad but they were they understood that they're trying to make a statement this was the usa 94 it was the most colorful world cup of all time in terms of just how they were going to cover it It had some of the biggest names you think of the names mm. that were competed in in the 94 world cup you look at like stoichkov and haji and klinsman and bibeto romario that that some of the biggest star burkamp some of the biggest stars Mm. of um, of that era so yeah it reminds me of that world cup it's the you know i own where is it behind me look got the cushion oh wow (laughs) i've got a mug i've got socks anything that's basically got that motif on it someone usually tags me on twitter and goes have you got this i'm like "Mm, yeah i've already got it um, I've got the Alexis Dallas Corinthian figure over there wearing that kit. It's um, wow. yeah, the greatest kit of all time, Tom. I'm talking. I'm taking up too much of your time talking about no, it, but yeah. not at all. Not at all. It's the greatest what, kit of all time. What I didn't know about that kit though is that it was made by Adidas. I assumed it was yeah. made by some sort of in-house kind of thing, but Adidas to make that. And why Adidas have not, I mean, they haven't owned the US contract for a while now. I think Nike have had it. But why no mm. one's done, I mean, I'm not always a big fan of rehashing them because they never quite match up to the original, but no one's thought to ever try to you know do a modern version of that which is surprising me i think they did a a tiny similar kit to it for one of the all-star games a few seasons ago in the mls they do the all-star game at the end of the year that had stars on it but nothing like that i mean i'm surprised they've not done sort of rehash it does have a v-neck collar which i don't normally go for but Mm. that shows how much i adore that that football kit well, it could be something that does uh, make a comeback in the next couple of years. This is kind of in vogue, isn't it, in the minute to remake yeah. these kits? Okay. We've seen the Arsenal bruised banana kit yeah. sort of coming back. So, right. Perhaps... You know, the, I mean, they never seem to go far enough. I think the bruised banana was okay, but it was yeah. kind of like, we're going to do it, but not do it. And I mean, I think mm. is it Bristol City this season who've bizarrely uh, they... got the Danish goalkeeping kit for. Oh, from really? the 92 and then they've got the away kit which is the purple and green as well so they've yeah. kind of you know they've done it pretty well i'll give them that mm. yeah the, the bristol city thing's been like a they seem to have adopted that as their away colors now they've yeah. had it for a few years whereas yeah. i think back in the 90s it was a one-off but uh yeah, yeah. Brian, Brian tinian is a name i always remember they scored at right. anfield in the, in the, in yeah. the mid 90s yeah Okay, so let's move on to the next part of the show then. So I've asked you to send some photos in. Uh, and I've got to, be, got to be honest, quite impressed by the uh, array of stars that you've managed to get uh, photos with. So th- I assume this is from your your time as a as the kick editor. So we've got Hudson yeah. Adoy there. Yeah. Talk us through these. I mean, yeah, I mean, we're quite lucky in, a, in, well, in normal 
circumstances. It's not been like that, obviously, in the past sort of eight, um, past year or so. Although Zoom is now everyone's best friend mm. um, as we talk on it. But yeah, we've, <laughs> I've been lucky enough to, to to get conversations. I mean, these are just the most recent ones. So yeah, that's cut. That's at the Chelsea Christmas party, I think, um, for for the Chelsea um, Bridge Kids fan club last season. Mm. Um, we did an interview with Callum Hudson Odoi, quite a uh, shy young guy at the moment, but you know. He, Generally, you know, we're a kids magazine, so most of the time I like to think they're a bit more relaxed. We're not going to go in there and try and work out if he's going to join Bayern Munich in the next transfer yeah. window. You know, we want to know what he's doing in his spare time. What did he have for breakfast? And mm. who's his most dangerous opponent? You know, fun kind of questions like that. I, I always go back to an interview I did many years ago with Ashley Cole, who was in his pomp at the time. Um, I went in there, kind of not meeting him before, kind of expecting the reputation that he had kind of him to be a bit of a prickly character and mm. the first couple of minutes he was but as soon as he knew what what sort of the line the questioning was and where we were from he completely opened up and we had a really fun chat for 10-15 minutes and it, it changed my perception of Ashley Cole which is sometimes you get to do in these kind of in this in this privileged role that I, I'm allowed, I'm done at Kick Magazine so yeah that's yeah. Callum Hubbard so that was yeah so that's one of the latest ones that we've done there um, for, for Kick. So who would you say uh, has been maybe the highest profile character that you've uh, interviewed? Uh, one of my first ever um, sort of interviews, it wasn't really an interview, but kind of jobs at Kick Magazine was to cover a kids football tournament um, called the Denone Nations Cup, which I think they still run, but it was, this is going back sort of 10 years. But one of my assignments over the course of the weekend was to go to a press conference and ask his Dan a question. Oh, wow. And I was, you know, full on wetted, not really. I think the only person I'd interviewed at that point was Eddie Newton, who played for Chelsea in the 90s. So, you know, mm. to go from that to Zidane and bizarrely, we ended up getting five minutes alone with him in a room, which was, you know, I, I was absolutely bricking it, to be honest, because yeah. not only was this somebody that one of my kind of all time favourite footballers to watch, he was, you know, somebody who couldn't speak English. So it was through translators so that made it more difficult. So, I mean, I'd like to do that if I'd done that. Now I'd be better prepared doing it then. I, I'm sure I made a complete mess of it, but that always sticks out. Um, Stephen Gerrard was, we did for our 100th episode, we did, you know, we did a thing with Stephen Gerrard, which if you can find it, there's a YouTube of the kick. We used, we used to do more YouTube videos, we haven't done mm. enough, but there is a YouTube video of that. Um, so yeah, Stephen Gerrard, you know, is a, is a big name. We've, Frank Lampard we've done on a numerous occasions. So we've been lucky enough to get Harry Kane, you know, we, we are in a privileged position to to get some of the big names, but I think yeah, being in a room with a Dan uh, as a very young journalist was 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 something I always remember, but just because I was so ill prepared for it, but at the same time in my head going, oh my god, yeah. it's a Dan. So yeah, yeah, it's kind of I imagine it's kind of one of those that where you just want to reach out and touch him just to yeah. see that he's he's really there. Yeah, totally, yeah. but then on the flip side of it, so we're, at the end of last year, I was I've spent. A long time trying to track down Roy Wegley, who I mentioned earlier, who's like my all-time fave. But he's been somewhat of a recluse um, mm. since probably retiring, actually, because I, I, I personally have never seen an interview with him or anything like that um, and gave up trying to track him down years ago. But bizarrely, through another thing I was doing, I came across what he was doing. And to cut a very long short story short, I managed to do a Zoom call with Roy Wegley at the end of last year. Um, mm. And I came back into the kitchen and I, my, my, my wife said, I haven't seen your face that smiley <laughs> wedding day. <laughs> and bear in mind, I've had two children since then, so I don't know what it says about that. <laughs> but yeah, so, I mean, personally for me, although it was over Zoom and not in person, to yeah. stick down with Roy Wegley because he's my favourite and because no one's heard of him talking mm. for, for 
for years. I mean, I haven't even used that interview. I'm trying to work out the best possible place for it to, yeah. to appear. But it's, yeah, that was that was big for me. I know that he's not Zidane, but he's my own Zidane a little bit. Yeah, of course. Yeah, Everybody's got their own Zidane. Um, yeah. So... <laughs> yeah. Might be a new feature on my show, Tom. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Mine would be Dave Edwards, who used to play for Wolves. Yeah. The, the, more, the more Dave Edwards they're like, the better. Like I love exactly. some people whose hero is, you know, when was the last time someone talked about Roy Wegley and Dave Edwards rather than, you know, Steve Ball and Les Ferdinand, who we yeah. both love and appreciate in equal measure, but everyone has their own, you know, sedan, mm. if you like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so let's have a look at your mystery piece of memorabilia, the final piece of the uh, of the jigsaw, if you like, the final piece of the yeah. show, well, that, and tell us the story behind leads, it. That actually kind of leads perfectly into it. So it's quite small. I don't know if you can see that. So that okay, yeah. is the only living, as far as I'm aware, Sabutio figurine of Roy Wegley. Wow. <laughs> which was uh, specially made for me um, by uh, a company in conjunction with Halley Inc. If anyone has seen Halley Inc. online, they've got yes. shirts, drawings. I've got a couple of them up there. I can't mm. remember that he did he did something in conjunction with another company that did this, but it was through him, um, and he was lucky enough to do that. So I've got him, and of course, to to marry up what we've been talking about, there's the Alexi Lalas in the wow. USA. <laughs> Brilliant as well, just to marry up what we've been talking about but i'm not a massive sabito guy i think that kind of was a little bit before me um it, you know it's, it's more 80s than 90s uh, mm -hmm. but i think those little pieces i mean if they if he was making a roy wegley corinthian i think i may have had a hyperventilated and never <laughs> ever needed anything in my life ever again but that's that's not happened thus far um but yeah, that that's kind of it, it's unique to me because I, as far as I'm aware, there's no that was it's a one-off. It's never no one's ever got. I think the Lalas one there was a few made, but the Wegley one is is the only one that's ever been made. Um, so that sits on my desk, and and when my little ones mm. come in here, and I'm you know I allow them to touch some things, that doesn't get touched. <laughs> that, that that's not allowed. You know the fact that I've touched it there, I've, I'm a little bit I've put a fingerprint on it, so I'm not happy. But yeah. it's it's something that I won't be able to get again, basically. I mean, you know, most yeah. things you can see our eBay and find again, that is a genuine one-off. So mm. that's nice. But um, as I said to you before we start recording, I have full of room of mystery and nostalgia as well. Like, yeah. This means quite a lot as well. This is a Italia 90 dress car, <laughs> which is as bizarre as it sounds, it, I, you know, I fully admit I found this on eBay, but it's mm. something that, so unique to its time and i haven't seen many of them i'm again not a massive car person not a car person at all actually but the fact yeah. that it's decked out in italian 90 colors uh, makes me very happy indeed i've got the mcdonald's happy meal set from usa 94 i mean it's just yeah i wrote a book on 90 which is where the podcast spawned from it, it was originally a book called alive mm. kicking um the, the ultimate guide to 90 nostalgia so anything I didn't already have in my loft, I scoured eBay for. And so I found some things that I, I've kept and not sold on or need or not needed since the book. And those are a mm. few things. Um, clutter as my, my, my wife calls it, <laughs> but they, they mean a hell of a lot to me. And yeah, that, that specific sort of Subutio Roy Wegley figure is definitely mm. one. I've got to ask you about the Subutio figure then. Is there anything that makes it iconic, that makes Roy Wegley iconic, that makes it not just an, a QPR player? Yeah. The, he's got the hair and it's too small for you not to see this so yeah he's got Roy's flowing locks he's got mm. the number 10 and he's also got the shirt sponsor uh, that, he, that he I mean 
He played for two seasons. This is the second season and a half, really, two and a half seasons mm. they, with the, with Brooks written across, which is the shirt after the shirt we were talking about um, yeah. earlier in the show. So yeah, there is specific, it's not just a random QPR player yeah, yeah. in the box. There is particular, his hair is very Roy, Roy Wegley of his era, which I'm very mm. impressed they've managed to do that because he obviously had particularly flowing locks um, at the time, which is another reason why I think he stood out to me. It was like, you know, football of a long hair, which was kind of yeah. bizarre at the time. But yeah, yeah, so, I mean, and in the Lalas one, which again is quite rare, I mean, he's got a ginger mop and beard. You don't get more Alexi <laughs> Lalas than that. I mean, if there's a, an image that sums up 1990s football, it's Alexi Lalas wearing that yeah. USA 94 kit, you know, somebody who wasn't a brilliant footballer, but managed to carve a career by being such mm. an iconic figure um, of, that, of that World Cup. Excellent. Well, Ash, I've really, really enjoyed listening to the stories that you've uh, shared with us uh, today. Uh, if you do want to hear more 90s uh, stories, a lot, <laughs> a lot of <laughs> hours and hours worth of stories, yeah. uh, it's Alive and Kicking or AK90s on Twitter. Ash himself is Ash Rose UK. Uh, and then if you are under the age of 15, 16, <laughs> Kick Magazine uh, as well, go ahead. Go and check yeah, that out as well. But not many nineties mentions in that one. That's my, uh, <laughs> that keeps me grounded, Tom. That keeps me in the modern day. I think if that, yeah. I'd be living. I'd be living through the nineties most of my week. So I think that keeps me a little. I know we haven't had time, but also the picture that you you mentioned in when we were speaking as well of, of mm. one of my favorite pictures of the nineties as well is that ninety two, ninety three Sky Sports picture of a member of each of the Premier League teams all sitting. Oh in yeah, yeah. Photo. We had Addy Simpson. That's another you know very nineties picture. And he, he came to play for Wolves. He was one of my favourite players in my first couple of seasons watching Wolves. He's, he's another Zidane, isn't he? I know, you know I've got a few of our friends who love Stinton, but probably not outside of the clubs that he played for. And although he did play for England, mm. I don't think he's appreciated as a great winger. At the first QPR game I ever went to, um, so it was December 92, Andy Stinton scored a hat-trick against Everton. Thought it'd be always be like that. Clearly wasn't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah excellent. So go and check out uh, Ash and all his stuff all over the place. Fantastic to speak to you. Uh, go and check out his book as well. I didn't realise you had a book. Is that available from Amazon, yeah, a place mean, like that? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty old now. It was out 2013, I think that came out. But it's about the 90s, so it clearly it doesn't date. So I'm sure... Timeless, few, yeah. yeah. I think somebody bought it on Amazon for like a pound fifty over Christmas. So we've still got that deal. Go for it. Because, yeah... <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not one to blow my own chubby, but I think it might be worth one pound fifty. I think you could. I think that would be a stretch. It might keep you going during lockdown. Lovely stuff. Uh, thank you very much for coming on, uh, Ash. Really appreciate it and uh, love the stories. But uh, don't forget to subscribe to this uh, podcast channel as well. Rate it five stars on iTunes or Acast, wherever you get your podcasts from. And I'll see you again in the next couple of weeks. Thank you very much. Bye bye. <laughs>